Hey guys, this is Brad. Just wanted to take a minute to thank you, the listener, for listening and proving you have a growth mindset. Our mission is to curate information from the top influencers around the world. We provide you with real, actionable steps on how to improve in any and every area of your life. Whether you're an entrepreneur, C-suite executive, or just starting your journey of self-development, professional development is all about growth. And you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. If you enjoy this content, please help us by liking, sharing, and subscribing. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the Professional Development Podcast. Today is Tuesday uh, and May 11th. And uh, today we have on a very special guest. So we've got on Dr. Jason Selk. He's considered one of the top performance coaches in the U.S., His uh, clients range anywhere from Olympic athletes to Fortune 500 executives. He was the director of mental training for the St. Louis Cardinals and actually helped them win their first World Series in over 20 years. Uh, Has wrote a ton of books. 10-Minute Toughness is actually on pace to be one of the uh, best-selling sports psychology books of all time. Executive Toughness is actually one of my personal favorites. And then his new book, Relentless Solution Focus, just hit the shelves this year. Personally, Uh, why his content hits home for me uh, is because his self-development uses science and research along with some very practical steps on how to improve. A lot of simple, uh, not necessarily easy concepts. And we are at his awesome house out here in Baldwin. Dr. Selk, thanks for having us. Well, I appreciate being with you all. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yep. And then the, uh, the, the Cardinals. So you were there 2006, helped them win their first one, and then you ended up leaving in 2011 uh, when they won their last one, correct? I don't think they've won one since I left, if that's what you're asking. That was going to be my question. <laughs> also, it just so happened to be the last year for Albert Pujols and Tony Larusa. So did they not come back because you didn't come back? Um, I'd like to say yes. I mean, I, I jokingly tell people all the time, those two World Series, 100% me. And tell all anybody, yes. all the listeners, <laughs> tell anybody, you can get to listen. No, but truth is, when I was with the Cardinals, I played a very small role. But... I took that role very, very seriously. Yep, that's okay. Actually, you actually said like that it was because of me. So we can just clip that, that video right there and that soundbite, and we can use that for a lot of advertisements. <laughs> there I we think. go. I like it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but in all seriousness, thank you for having us on. And then you, uh, another side note, you actually coached our guy Ben Newman for a while, didn't you? Well, I, I, you know, as I was, we were talking earlier, I don't like to kiss and tell. Ben, ben talks about it all the time. Any information you want about that, you'll have to go through Ben. But I know Ben very well. Let's just leave it at that. Sure, sure. So I guess my only question on that is, how much money does he owe you for all of his success? <laughs> Next question, <laughs> <Okay>. please. <laughs> um, I, I got one that uh, kind of parlays off the, the Cardinals question. So after the, you won the first World Series, the Rams reached out to you and said, hey, we want to we wanna have you help us out. And you guys went 0-8 at the start of that season. And something that you talk about in your book is taking negative actions and turning them into a positive. And something I heard you say was that you were going in to that meeting after 0-8 like you were a losing team instead of going in there like you were a winning team. So how do you make that adjustment from from going 0-8 to realizing, hey, we are capable of winning, and how do you execute? You know, um, so you're going right to it here. And, and I'll tell you, I'll remember, I was, you know, we were 0-8, and I just won the World Series with the Cardinals. I have been really, really lucky my whole career that I've I've been involved with winning. And the 0-8 was the first experience I had with real losing. I mean, it was very, very difficult. And, you know, if you're not involved in professional sports, you may not realize how serious losing is. You know, it's people's livelihoods. Um, I mean, head coaches' wives are being uh, 
you know, I don't know if I'd say accosted, but certainly insulted at grocery stores. Their kids are getting beat up at school. It's a, it's a really serious thing. And, and I can remember, I spent Tuesdays over at Ram Park, Rams Park. Um, and it was Tuesday morning, I was getting ready to go. And very rarely do I not look forward to going to work. And I was walking the dog before leaving. And I just had this sense of, I do not want to go. And that's when it kind of started to hit me, okay, th- this is exactly what I'm supposed to be helping other people with. I'm experiencing it on a performance side myself. And the technique I had learned at, you know, going through graduate school is called act as if. And the point I want to make here is our thoughts are our choice. And most people don't know how to make the right choice with thoughts because they haven't been taught what are the wrong thoughts, and maybe even more importantly, what are the right thoughts? So, you know, thankfully, you know, my education, my experience had me set up for success there, but I knew by the way I was feeling that I had the wrong stuff in my head, and then I knew the technique is, okay, if you're struggling with confidence, act as if you're not struggling with confidence. You've heard it, you know, they've said it a number of different ways, but you probably heard fake it until you make it. it. It's the same sort of thing. But instead, I just, I thought to myself, okay, how would I be thinking and feeling if we were eight and no? And I remember immediately a shift in the way I was feeling, you know, instead of feeling like a beaten dog, I was feeling like a, a warrior, like, you know, if we're eight and no, let's go, bring it on. And, and then I thought, okay, it'd be much better if I went in and spoke as if we were eight and no, And then I started thinking about my content and the content that I was prepared to deliver that day was from a losing mindset. And I said, okay, if if we rate no, how would the content be different? And certainly the content was different. I remember I went inside and spent, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, rewrote the content of what I was going to go to Rams Park and talk about. The whole way there, I visualized myself feeling as if we were eight and no. And lo and behold, we get there and, you know, the the way I delivered it was a lot better. The content was much more effective. We won four games in a row. Uh, Again, 100% me. Oh, you you know, again, I I joke about that. Jason! And, you know, you you never know how much of an impact you make. But my thought is always make the biggest impact you possibly can. And I know that's what the St. Louis Rams had hired me to do. That's what the St. Louis Cardinals had hired me to do. That's what everybody hires me to do is make the biggest impact I can. And that's what I did that day. So I think the main thing I'd want people to take from this is we can control our thoughts. You know your thoughts are sending you in the wrong direction performance-wise if you feel like garbage. Again, it's all biology here. When you feel negative, when your mind is focused on a problem, Your body is built in a way that it's supposed to release neurotransmitters into the bloodstream. Now, for whatever reason, they're not teaching people this. It's just ridiculous to me that this isn't being taught. But when you feel the negative anxiety, stress, fear, anger, depression, guilt, those are kind of the nasty six, that should be your cue that, okay, I need to get control of my thinking. So that's the first step is you got to recognize when the thoughts are wrong. But it's, it's biologically built in. PCT is how our brains are designed. 
goes back hundreds of years to keep us safe and you know move us through survival, but now it is so bad for performance. So again, you have to recognize anytime you feel negative emotion, that should be your cue. Something's got to change mentally. And if you can change the thoughts, then you can change the behaviors and the way you feel, i.e. you can control performance at a much higher level. And that's essentially what your entire new book, Relentless Solution Focus, covers. Basically, nobody needs to buy the book now. Because yeah, nobody needs to just, buy it. But <laughs> thank, thanks a lot for, for stealing the thunder. Stealing all the thunder. It's all ruined. <laughs> yeah. And Jason, you talked about uh, visualizing that. And in 10-Minute Toughness, you said um, that every minute of visualization is worth seven minutes of physical practice. I want to I make sure people understand it. You don't have to do a full minute to get this. It's a seven to one ratio. So one second of visualization is worth seven seconds of practice. 10 seconds, 70 seconds. Because think about it. When's the last time you visualized for a minute? You don't think about it a lot. I can't lie. It's been a while. Well, and most people <laughs> don't. And, and I tell you, it's one of the big mistakes with visualization that, and, and I'm going to say this before I tell you about the big mistake, there are two things I've found, scientifically speaking, that if a person is not using these two things, they cannot be performing at potential. Not possible. Visualization's one. Effective goal setting is the second. Okay, so most people, the big mistake with visualizing is I think most people have never been taught, you don't have to do it for extended periods of time for it to make an impact. How about 10 seconds a day? 10 seconds a day of visualization is worth 70 seconds of practice. When's the last time you practiced your craft for 70 seconds? Most people don't have that under their belt either. Now, if you're a professional athlete, obviously a different story, but they're also doing a whole lot more visualization as professional athletes. They know far more. They're, the, the sports world's far ahead of the business world when it comes to understanding the brain and performance psychology. But in the business world, 10 seconds of visualization goes a long way to controlling and enhancing performance. That has to be something that's so massive with, I mean, you think golfers, right, on the PGA Tour. I mean, they say that the difference in the game there is that six inches right there between your ears. And uh, obviously, it's not just golf where you have to be mentally tough. You have to be able to do that whether you're in the business world or um, you are a professional athlete. So I guess it, I know whenever I was listening to the top 1% podcast that you were on with those guys and um, you talked about how you went from working with the St. Louis Cardinals to seeing more opportunities in the business world. Um, and I guess, it, did you see your skill set being a better fit or was it, were there some financial um, advantages there as far as going into that? I mean, how can you not chase a little bit more money well, let, me, let me say this. When I was with the Cardinals, uh, I should probably be careful saying this, but I, I'll say it. I, I was one of the only people on the medical staff when I was with the Cardinals for six years that got paid. Most people with the Cardinals are not getting paid. But it's also, you have to understand, such a great advancement of your career to have the St. Louis Cardinals on your resume. So the team itself may not be paying you, but anyway, I was one of the few, and I didn't get paid much when I was with the team. Sure. I, I mean... I was, the most I ever got paid with the St. Louis Cardinals, and this is 20 hours a week, was $70,000. It's the most I ever got paid for a full year of working with the team at 20 hours a week. Wow. And, you know, when I first got the job, they assumed I would do it for free. I was not in a position where I was able to. I, I would have not been able to pay my bills if I took 20 hours for my private practice 
turn those paying clients into non-paying St. Louis Cardinals, we wouldn't have been able to pay the bills. So I wasn't being a tough negotiator. I literally couldn't do it financially. My my family would have, we would have, you know, had to move out of our house to pay the bills. So luckily they paid me enough that I was able to be with them for six years. And, And again, you know, I think I did my part with the team and certainly being with the team has helped my career. So yes, moving from the sports world to the business world for me was a, a big financial jump. But I'll say this, I could care less who I work with. You know, and that's one of the things I think with professional athletes they like about me. I'm not starstruck. I could care less who you are, what you do. If you want to get better, I'm all in, all in. So moving from sports to business was, you know, nice for the financial side. But, you know, frankly, the athletes I worked with, they were all in. They wanted to get better. I loved working with them the business people I work with, you know, it's all pretty much people are coming to me, not because they have to, but because they want to. So it controls for the motivation on that side of things. And anytime you get to work with people who are really hungry and want to improve, it makes your job a lot easier. Sure. And taking a pay cut in in any profession you're in doesn't sound like fun, like like point blank, Uh, but it kind of parlays into your book, right? A lot of people could look at that and say, yeah, this is an opportunity, but I can't take a pay cut. I build my career and look at all the problems. So in Relentless Solution Focus, it it kind of uh, embodies everything that I've learned from the other books that I've read of yours, which is taking people from their brains, which is just going to focus solely on the negatives and trying to find a solution for that. And it's uh, PCT and then RSF. And so obviously there could be some people out there that don't know what that means, but you talk about we're biologically wired for failure whether we're pursuing personal or professional goals. So can you talk to us about what PCT is and how to shift that to relentless solution focus? Yeah, so I, I just want to um, connect the dot a little bit better. I'm not, I, I'm biologically wild, wired for failure. It's a very powerful thing you just said. I'd, I'd have to really think on that. I, I think it's largely true, uh, frankly, but we're biologically wired for survival. Okay. Hundreds of years ago, survival was success. You know, if you didn't have PCT, if your brain wasn't built to focus on all the potential problems and all the reality problems that you were experiencing, you would end up in the lion's den in no time. We now, even even at this point in life with everything we've been through in the last year, it's still the safest time for human beings to be alive. There's no comparison And so the biological wiring for survival is now in many cases counterintuitive, counterproductive for high-level performance. Yeah, you you probably could say we're biologically wired for failure. It's a very powerful statement. I've I've never heard it said that way. I really like it. I'll I'll think about it. Um, He's going to put that in his next book. I might. It might be the name of the book. Biologically (laughs) wired for failure. When he said it, I was like, wow. 10%. What a great trademark. (laughs) I'll get my agent involved. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Okay, so PCT is the biological wiring. It's problem-centric thinking. And to give you an example of PCT, you know, the most valuable asset or resource known to our species? Oxygen. Okay, but when is the last time you all sitting at this table have thought to yourself, wow, life is so great. I've got an abundance of the most valuable resource. I don't even have to work very hard to get it. This is great. 
You know, the brain just overlooks, it takes for granted those things. And that's the most valuable resource to our species. Without it, we die the fastest. Okay, now compare it with when's the last time you thought to yourself, I don't have enough love. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough respect. I don't have enough you fill in the blank. That's PCT. Your brain is built to search for what you don't have. Your brain is built to focus on the negatives in life. And what makes it worse, turn on the news, get a group of people hanging around, having some drinks. The way we interact with one another, because we all have that PCT ingrained biology is that's how we talk. That's how we communicate. We talk about our problems. We, I mean, look, turn on the news. You can't go a minute without almost being sick to your stomach about how bad the world and how, how bad life is. That's actually not reality. There's actually a lot of really great things happening every day, all around us, all the time, but we wouldn't know it, all right? So we have to be really careful letting that PCT biology govern our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors. But without training, without knowledge, you can't stop it from happening. And that, I think, is the great thing about the book, Relentless Solution Focus, is not only do I tell you, or I should say we, I wrote it with my colleague, Dr. Ellen Reed, we identify simply how to recognize when it's happening. And I talked about it earlier. Anytime you feel a negative emotion, your, your focus is on PCT, period. That's the first step. The second step is now you just have to control, you have to change the thoughts and to go from problem to solution. And if you can do it quickly, I really the goal is to try to get it done within 60 seconds. And it's a very simple question. You can learn with some training to make very natural in your mind is anytime you experience the negative feeling, you recognize, okay, I know what's going on here. My thoughts are a little goofy. They're screwing me up. What's one thing I can do right now that could make this better? And if you just look for that one thing, and don't look for perfection, look for one inch of improvement, now you've shifted automatically your thoughts from problem over to that RSF. That's the RSF mindset. And the, the really great thing about the shift in thinking, immediately your brain starts to release new neurotransmitters. Instead of the neurotransmitters that make you feel horrible and they actually pollute your thinking, your, your ability to be creative, um, intelligent, it dramatically decreased with those negative neurotransmitters. You actually, your brain disables itself for fight or flight. RSF expands the mind. Your, your intelligence, creativity, all cognitive functioning is now enhanced and it's all biological. It has nothing to do with motivation or effort. It's all biology, learning to train your biology so it works for you as opposed to against you. So I actually have a question because what, what started this podcast was the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller. Great book. So I read, that was what started this. That's like kickstarted my whole professional development kick. And then when I picked this book up, I noticed there was a lot of um, similarities between it. And that, that, was, that was my favorite book until I started reading this. And I realized he says, find the one thing, but then you here have, okay, well, write down what's going to make that better. And then the thing that always gets overlooked is sometimes the first thing's not, always the right answer. So how do you get those people to realize like they try it, the, the one thing and it doesn't work? How do you get them to go to the next question? Well, and that's the whole, you know, it's not called solution focus. It's called relentless solution focus. And it's, you know, it's in the book that you have to learn to define what relentless is. And that's where I use, you know, I've been so fortunate over the last 20 years to work with literally some of the most relentless people, some of the most successful people walking the planet. And, you know, you know, 
for me, hearing their stories and seeing what relentless actually looks like opens my mind up to how I can be more relentless. But there are certainly ways you can measure. And here's one measure. If you have a problem, do you have a solution? And, you know, most people almost dismiss it, almost like what just happened there. The question is almost difficult to even understand. But think, with every problem that you experience, you must put the same energy into recognizing what an improvement or that kind of that plus one solution to that problem is. And if you do, that's how you know for sure you cannot be any more relentless. See, we're relentless about being problem-focused. Yeah. If we can learn to match that, which, again, it's a nice pep talk. And I think people listening might think, oh, great. Yeah, I can start to change that. A pep talk is not going to necessarily undo the biological wiring that exists. But we know it's called neuroplasticity. neuroplasticity. With certain training mechanisms, we can change the wiring. We can rewire our brains so that RSF becomes normal and PCT becomes abnormal. Do you think that society makes it to where people are problem-centric thinking? Undoubtedly. And I'd call it, for me, job security. And I'd call it for anybody listening. You want to have an advantage over the competition? This is it. There's absolutely no doubt. You know, I used to be PCT just like everybody else. I went through school and kind of learned about the brain. And, and this, this got my attention more than anything. And it had to do with a connection to self-confidence. In the sports psychology, it's all about self-confidence and one of the big hampers of self-confidence is the PCT biology. And so anyway, I became an expert on self-confidence and then that kind of led me to this relentless solution focus. And then I started to train myself with it. And I'm just telling you and everybody that knows me, like I don't go to high school reunions anymore because people think that I'm lying when I, you know, I'm not so sure that, you know, the people I went to high school with are, you know, following me on social media or anything like that. And so they don't know. And they say, hey, what are you doing these days? And I said, well, I wrote a book and it's actually doing really well. And I'm working with the St. Louis Cardinals and they thought I was lying. And I said, okay, I'm done going to high school reunions. Point is, people who knew me 20 years ago would be the first to tell you, wow, it's somewhat shocking what a person can do when they get control of their thoughts. So yep. you're practicing what you preach, is, Absolutely. which is very cool. Absolutely. And then last one before you jump in, Matt, is we've talked about confidence over cockiness on our own podcast before. And obviously you see a lot of athletes that are, appear to be cocky. What do you, where's that line between the two? During performance, I'll take cocky any day of the week. You know, there, there was a story, um, it's a long time ago, and I, I wrote about this guy. It was a picture I wrote about in 10-Minute Toughness. But I, I knew him, and I, I ended up getting to know his wife personally, too. And she told me about the first time they met. A friend of hers was dating a player on the baseball team. And she said, come, let's, let's go on a double date with these guys. And she didn't want to go. And she went, and she was you know, sitting watching the game. And the pitcher was on the mound, and she said he was an arrogant, these are her words, an arrogant asshole out <laughs> That's my kind of guy. Okay, and, and, you know, the guy totally dominated the game. And when he walked off the field, he's the most quiet, humble, nicest human being you would meet. And so what I'd tell you is during performance, do not be afraid of cocky. When you get out of your performance, be a human being. Make people around you feel special and important. But during performance, you let it rip. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and going off of the self-confidence, I think you say in every book and just about every podcast I've listened to that the number one factor in human performance is self-confidence. But I haven't really heard you dive into the why 
behind it. Can you kind of talk to that? Okay, so I think if you're talking about the why behind it, this is where you really start to connect to the thoughts. Remember, human beings are made up of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Yep. The thoughts are essentially the quarterback for the feelings and the behaviors. So if your thoughts are running through the lens of self-confidence, remember, PCT decreases. When you focus on problems, you're decreasing your self-confidence. Think about it. Yep. When you focus on, you know, I was toying with this idea. Um, say In your head, say to yourself, I'm no good, or I hate myself, or just, you know, in your head, repeat something really, really negative, and then try to sing happy birthday really well. I mean, it's a very simple task, and you know, people might be, don't do this in public. Um, <laughs> here's what will happen. It'll be a horrible performance. You cannot perform well when you've got negative stuff in your head. And that's the connection to the self-confidence is the thoughts control, literally the control is the thoughts that control the feelings and the behavior. So if the thoughts are running parallel to confidence, the feelings and the behaviors will run parallel to high performance. Yep. Conversely, if the thoughts are focused on negativity, any of the PCT stuff, you're going to really, you're going to sink yourself. You're going to sound terrible singing that song. Yeah, and we do, uh, we did a podcast, you know, when we talk about thoughts and how they control, you know, essentially your destiny, right? We did a podcast on law of attraction and it kind of reminded me another, a book you reference all the time, uh, Psycho-Cybernetics. Yeah. And that's Dr. Maxwell Maltz. And he coined the term, which essentially translates to a helmsman who steers his ship to the port, right? Mm -hmm. So I love that. And I love the idea when you explain it. I will be honest. I tried to read that book four times. There's so many, can I say fuck in here? You can say okay. whatever you want. <laughs> There's so many fucking big words in there. I'm too, I feel like I'm too stupid to actually grasp the concept of it. But can you talk to us a little bit about that book? and like how that's having an impact on, on your work? Absolutely. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is don't ever say that about yourself again. Okay. I'm serious. Okay. And anybody listening, that's maybe the best lesson we can take from this. I was in a car. I picked my daughter up. Uh, this is last week. My daughter and two friends, they, they played lacrosse. They're on a really good team. And they won the game. And, these, these, and they're, they're juniors in high school. We get in the car, and they're just cutting on themselves, all three of them just bad-mouthing how bad they played. We got to the parking lot of our school. It was an away game. I told the girls, I said, girls, get out and walk. Don't ever around me again say negative things. You got enough people out there that'll talk negative about you. The world's tough enough. You don't need to be beating yourself up. Now, I learned that from Maltz. Self-confidence is the same thing, essentially, as self-image. Maltz was the first one to identify this. And, and the three points you got to really remember, and it's so important. Number one, self-image is determined by how we talk to ourselves about ourselves. Number two, most people's self-image, because of PCT and perfectionist mentality, most people's self-image is far below where it should be because point number three, most people are talking to themselves about themselves, oftentimes even in jest, which I know you were. But look, your mind oftentimes doesn't understand humor. So you got to really learn to control how you're talking about yourself to yourself. And I'd tell you, even, you know, 
There's a reason comedians, I think comedians still have the highest suicide rate of any profession. They're always cutting on themselves. Yep. Knock it off. People listening, knock it off. And look, I, I get, I got a good friend of mine, Tom Bartow. He, he calls me on it all the time. So, you know, don't, don't take it the wrong way. Everybody needs to work on this. Sure. So be conscious. And that's, with psychocybernetics, I'd tell you, read the first two or three chapters. You don't even have to read the first two or three chapters. Just understand this. The way you're, you're talking to yourself about yourself is extremely important because that's the why behind the self-confidence. That's how it happens. You either improve self-confidence by talking about yourself and thinking about solutions instead of problems, talking about yourself in a positive manner, or you decrease self-image or self-confidence by doing the opposite. Makes sense. I appreciate that. Uh, but Got please it. don't make me walk home today because <laughs> I live in the city. Keep it up. Keep it up. That's a far walk. Taking your keys away. With, yeah. uh, with so, so it just in uh, kind of parlaying off of that with what Matt said too, obviously we're, well, except for Janice and she's a Cubs fan, but uh, most of us being Cardinals fans here, um, as far as 2006, 2011, who from each one of those teams was probably one of the toughest whenever it comes to that? And then who did you see, if you can answer that, who did you see the most improvement from in, on each of those teams? Well, and I got to be really careful with confidentiality. Sure. Um, but I'll say this because this was common knowledge. I remember when I first started with the team in 2006, I would ask, I would say, okay, who is the best player on the team? And then who is the hardest worker on the team? You know, and it was really, I don't know, more homework and research because one of the activities I would do is I would say, okay, everybody knows this player is the toughest, you know, the hardest working and having the most success. Emulate one thing from that player. Pick one thing from that player and, and emulate it to a point where at some point you even want to try to be better than your idol on that one thing. But I would ask, I mean, I did it consistently for the six years I was with the team. And the answer is, it was always two people. The answers were always the same. There was no variance whatsoever. Chris Carpenter, Albert Pujols. The Not best, surprised. the best, and the hardest working. I love that. Yep. And so you've obviously got a pretty, uh, pretty decorated resume, I guess we could call it. Uh, but was listening to the Outperform podcast with Martin Sorju. I hope I'm saying that right. But... Um, you talk about how at one point, it's weird to think about somebody like you underperforming. And you talk about a point in time when you were underperforming um, and you felt like it could, could have been like a lack of direction or lack of accountability. So um, I know uh, Wooden, Coach Wooden had a part to play in that, but what specifically for you, because a lot of people, ourselves included, are always trying to get better. And I think people that strive to be highly successful always feel at some level they're underperforming, Right. So what changed in you and what would you suggest for people listening to do if they feel that they're in that same boat? Um, I think if I try to unpack my own stuff here, you know, for, first thing I realize is everybody puts their pants on the same way. Everybody. So this has been the great part of my job. Um, you know, people who you watch on TV people who are idolized and people who are other people's heroes will come into my office and close the door and tell me their nasty secrets. And, you know, you do that for a short period of time. And what you realize pretty quickly is, look, we're all human and we've all, all of us have our own problems. We all have our own bag of trouble. And so I think the first thing is allow yourself to be human. You know, 
nobody's any better, any worse. We're all here and you got to just try to figure it out, be a better version of you. Okay, so to me, what was the big thing? I think, you know, I gave myself an advantage because of the education. You know, you don't hear a lot of people say that, but literally for me to get a doctorate in sports psychology, I can't tell you how eye-opening the stuff I was learning was. And, and I guess what kind of shocked me was that a lot of the stuff I would read and it would be just unbelievable to me that it wasn't being taught to the masses. And when it was backed by science, that's when, you know, if something's backed by science and research, and you know, I know you can, you can basically promote research to get different results, but if you have, you know, a non-biased researcher and it's being produced multiple times, you can't argue with pure science, not money-driven science, but pure science. So I think the education I had gave me such an advantage because I knew where to look in myself. I knew what things to change. Okay, and, and if I was going to simplify the equation, it's V plus I equals S or V plus I equals H. V stands for vision. Know where you want to go. Specifically, have a five-year vision and have a one-year result goal. I stands for integrity. On a daily basis, know what the one most important activity is that will promote you or cause you to get to either that five-year vision or that one-year goal, or ideally speaking, both. V, the vision. I, the integrity. One activity equals happiness, the highest form of success. If on a daily basis you know where you're going, and on a daily basis you're doing that one most important activity that will literally get you there, I would tell you it's going to be awfully hard for you not to like the results. And that, when I... You know, again, you, you see all this research and a lot of it is complicated. And uh, I think my real strength is I like to simplify things for my own performance, for myself. And then I think everybody else appreciates it too. So everything I learned, I could probably boil down to that V plus I equals H and then just learn to be relentless about removing the obstacles that stand in the way of the integrity piece. Because the integrity piece is the hardest, getting that one most important activity done each and every day. Yeah. That's good stuff. I think we pulled a lot of good content out of today. I mean, a lot of good takeaways for everybody listening. So, Jason, we have an OnlyFans inquiry, which is where one of our listeners writes in and asks for advice. Um, today, our question comes from Lars from Denmark. So, uh, I mean, you're laughing. Funny story. <clears throat> We're into the number 46 business podcast in Denmark. We've been picking up a lot of traction in Sweden uh, so basically, we're taking over Scandinavia right nice. now. Nice. Not a big deal. Nice. <laughs> um, but Lars from Denmark had a question about COVID. And he said, you preach relentless solution focus uh, and not, not completely focusing on nothing but problems. Do you feel like COVID-19 has given people a crutch to basically create more problems and kind of not have to work as hard because they could blame everything on problems through the pandemic. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Undoubtedly. It's sad. Um, <clears throat> you know, you have to be really careful with the COVID um, because you, you have so many people who it's such a hot topic. I lost my father on Christmas from COVID. Uh, so I totally get it. But I know my father, he fought in Vietnam and my wife's father fought in Vietnam. And 
I know a lot of people in this country have fought very, very hard, whether it be in a war or just on a daily basis, to eliminate our country, the people waking up afraid. And I think what we've done with COVID, with the way the media has perpetrated it, and I just feel like we've taken many, many steps backwards that you have a lot of people in this country waking up afraid, and it's become commonplace. And I don't feel like a lot of people are trying to teach and help those people to understand that sometimes there are things worse than death. You know, we... we, there have been a lot of people in our country that have said the worst thing in life is fear. And I know for me personally, I would rather not be alive than to live in fear. And so I would just challenge people, no matter where you are in this COVID thing, I don't want to make this, this question or this answer about drawing lines. Mm-hmm. No matter where you stand in this, fight fear. Fight it relentlessly. And the way to do it is whatever your problem is, find one thing, one little inch that can make that problem better and you'll fight through fear. That's awesome. Uh, So Relentless Solution Focus, uh, obviously you can find it on Amazon. And then if people want to look into everything else that you and Dr. Reed are putting out there, where's the best spot for that? Probably just the website. And we try to do a lot, you know, we've done, you know, a lot of really positive things to a point where financially things are going well for both of us. So we're not, you know, we're, we're, we got a lot of free content that we try to help people with. JasonSelk.com is a great place, you know, sign up. There's a once a week Mental Toughness Tuesday email that comes out. It's free. It's just once a week, one concept on mental toughness. But yeah, check out the website. I want to say this before you close it down. I've done a lot of podcasts and I'm extremely impressed with the homework you three have done. Uh, it makes doing a podcast very enjoyable when you're talking to people that have obviously done their homework and show interest in it. So you all three should be really proud of the work you're doing. You're going to make an impact. Keep it up. We appreciate that. Yeah, so appreciate does that, that give us all access to your heated pool outside? <laughs> it's not It's not heated. He suits, told us that. Suits Can we come suits back? Suits suits That's amazing. <laughs> Dr. Selk, thanks so much for having us and being on. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much.